are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It is Locked On NBA, the Eastern Conference Preview. I'm David Locke. Just hold in your hand a little bit here. We'll let the guys, the local experts on the biggest stories, give you most of the content on this show. Locked On NBA is loaded with coverage to preview the playoffs. Ben Golliver and I sat down for a great conversation, big picture NBA playoffs. Now, this is the local experts on the biggest stories. Nobody else can give it to you except for the Lockdown Podcast Network with our daily podcast on every NBA team. We have the local experts covering each of their teams, and they're talking together. So we'll start with the go down the bracket. Bucks and the Pistons won eight. That'll be Eric Name and Matt Shook, the hosts of Lockdown Bucks and Lockdown Pistons. Then we'll do the Celtics Pacers series. After you're done with that, John Corrales will stop by Locked on Celtics and give you a breakdown of the Marcus Smart injury. Raptors and the Magic, Sean Woodley and Philip Rossman-Reich, Locked on Raptors and Locked on Magic, and then the Nets and the Sixers. So we're covering all the four Eastern Conference series. We're covering with the local experts on the biggest stories. Let's start it off. One verse eight, Bucks Pistons. Here's your first local experts breakdown. All right, and this is Matt Shook of the Locked On Pistons podcast being joined by one of the co-hosts of the Locked On Bucks podcast, Eric Name of The Athletic. Eric, let's uh, let's talk Eastern Conference playoffs. I'm sure we both agree that the Pistons are heavy favorites in this one against the Bucks, right? <laughs> yeah, I think so. You know, you look at all the success that the Pistons have had against the Bucks this year and, uh, you know, the the struggles that the Bucks have. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, this Bucks team, uh, it was kind of interesting watching tonight, uh, you know, as you look through and try to figure out exactly who the Bucks will be playing. And, uh, you know, I'm sure you did the same thing with the Pistons and, well, I guess also whether or not they'd actually make the playoffs. Like, all, all those things were in in play at the start of the night. So, um, you know, it was kind of interesting watching through all of this. But in the end, uh, I don't know that the the Bucks as, as, a, as an organization were really thinking at any point, like, oh, you know, hopefully it's this team. I think any of the, the teams six through eight in, in the Eastern Conference, uh, I think they felt pretty confident that they could handle. Right. And, and that's kind of the nature of being the one seed and knowing for a long time that they were going to be the one seed going into the Eastern Conference playoffs. As you alluded to, the Bucks with a 4-0 sweep of the Pistons during the regular season and really blowouts across the board. One of the games in Detroit was kind of close in the third quarter. Um, and then, but like, like I said, the, the Milwaukee games were just complete blowouts. And then the last game in Detroit, a blowout as well. And that's been the case, obviously, with Milwaukee with a lot of teams this year, kind of a juggernaut so far in the regular season. But for Pistons fans listening and fans across the league, uh, obviously the big story with the Bucks right now is what's going on with some of these role players' injuries there as the uh, end of the season kind of came. What's the latest on some of these guys up and down the list there? Yeah, I mean, it, I think there's there's no way that Malcolm Brogdon is available for this first-round playoff series. Like That's just not going to happen. Uh, it's been second round for him pretty much all the way through. Um, and then, really, we've heard the – the best, I guess, I guess the best update, and when I say best, I mean, you know, the most uh, most information we've gotten from Bud here, uh, really this this entire, you know, kind of stretch of injuries. But uh, looking at Nikola Mirotic, who the Bucks traded for at the trade deadline, and then Tony Snell, um, and it sounds like Bud is, is thinking that, you know, maybe Nico won't quite be ready for game one, whether that happens on Saturday or Sunday. We don't know yet as we're recording here, uh, before the, the official game dates have been released. But 
He's not sure he'll be ready for game one. And then Tony Snell, he's thinking, won't be ready for either of the Bucks' home games. So, you know, maybe that means three or four in Detroit. But but the Bucks are, are really, you know, hoping to, to try to get some of those guys back, get them back in the flow. Is uh, Obviously, they're going to be trying to make a deep playoff run. Uh, so, really, I think that this series against the Pistons will um, – I'm not going to say it's going to be like inconsistent, but I do feel like as the series rolls on, the Bucks are going to have to add guys back into the rotation and kind of play with those things a little bit and, you know, attempt to figure out uh, how close to being a hundred percent any of those guys are. And from the Pistons perspective, Blake Griffin missed the, basically the, the final game of the season, which was do or die for the Pistons on Wednesday night against the Knicks. They ended up blowing out New York without him, but he didn't play that game. He basically only played 18 minutes the night before against Memphis, came back for the two games before that, but missed the previous three games before that. He's got uh, what's being called a sore left knee. Uh, there's some rumors that he's going to need some arthroscopic surgery after the season and uh, certainly no no scenario where Blake Griffin's 100% in this series and uh, obviously the, the Pistons is the best player and that's going to be problematic when you're going up against probably the NBA's best team without your best player at 100% and there's chances that he may not even be available especially for the games in Milwaukee which uh, you know, maybe if this Pistons franchise is kind of putting all their eggs into possibly winning one of those games back in Detroit in games three or four, which, uh, you know, would be big for the franchise, would be the first playoff victory if they're able to get one of them in 10 years, if you can believe that for a, what used to be a proud franchise in the, in the years leading up to that. And, but that being said, Milwaukee, I look back and was surprised to see that a team that's been in the playoffs, you know, off and on and then more on lately these last couple of years, they're a team that with all the expectations of them making a deep playoff run, haven't won a series since 2001 as well. Yeah. I mean, that's really the question that lingers over this, this entire Bucks team is can they actually get it done in the playoffs? And, you know, I think there's, there's something to be said for having playoff wins under your belt. You know, I also think there's something to be said for, this is not the same team that that played this year or in 2015 or uh, in 2011 or really any of those years. Like that, none of those players are, are really carried over. So uh, you're looking at a very different team, but that's really the thing that just kind of looms over this entire postseason for the Bucks. Is you know once they get to the postseason, is there all of a sudden just going to be something that goes wrong? Like, you know, maybe, maybe they were just a regular season team. And, you know, I, I, I was talking to Eric Bledsoe about this after the game tonight. And, you know, I was like, you know, there's some people out there that, that kind of think that and, and believe that about you. And he's like, well, you know, they got a point. Like we haven't done anything in the playoffs yet. And, you know, we know that we have to go out and prove ourselves this postseason. And it was just like, that's a pretty mature answer. You know, I think you, you could, you could bristle at that question and say, well, we're the best team in the league during the regular season, so why wouldn't it happen in the postseason? But instead, uh, I thought a pretty mature answer from Eric Bledsoe, someone who last year in the playoffs didn't prove it, someone someone who really struggled against Terry Rozier. So uh, that that's definitely the thing that that kind of hangs over this series for the Bucks. And um, you know, I, I'm it is really a shame that Blake Griffin is not going to be 100% just because, you know, uh, it just feels like with the year that he's had and everything that he's done to improve himself and become better three point shooter, like all those things, it just felt like, man, like get that dude a break. Like, come on. 
Well, at least they got into the playoffs, and uh, for some Pistons fans, I think that's enough. But like we said, it would be big, I think, in a weird way to, to possibly get a game. Eric, what do you think? Do you think the Pistons get one of these games? What's your If you had to throw a prediction out there, putting you on the spot, what would you have to say? I think the Bucks are going to take care of business, but the 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 tough part is – I, we we really haven't seen them be this good yet. Um, so I, I don't know if looking at this team, if they're a gentleman sweep type of team or if they're <laughs> uh, if they're a sweep type of team where you know they're just going to take care of it in four. So I will predict four uh, just because Giannis is is a lunatic and doesn't like to lose. Uh, mm-hmm. So I could see him just kind of saying like, all right, we're not going to do a gentleman sweep here. Like let's just take care of business and get it done in four. All right, Eric, name of Locked on Bucks. I'm going to go on record officially now and say the Pistons will get one win. So I'm going with five games. Eric's going with four. Uh, thanks for listening to our preview. The Bucks have been the best team in the NBA all season long. We'll continue with the Celtics and the Pacers in just a moment. Remember, Ben Golliver and I sat down for an extended conversation. That's also at Locked on NBA. And we also have the new Locked on MLB shows if you're a baseball fan. It's all available at the Himalaya app as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or just tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On MLB. Celtics and the Pacers, the 4-5 matchup. This was recorded before the injury to Marcus Smart. We'll have more from John on that in a minute, but here's the breakdown of the series. All right, in your Eastern Conference 4-5 versus matchup, the Boston Celtics will be hosting the Indiana Pacers uh, two teams that come to the end of the season on very different trajectories. Uh, I'm Tony East, the host of Locked On Pacers. Here on the other line with me is uh, John Corrales. There we go with Locked On Celtics. John, how are you, man? I'm doing okay. I, I said Calaris when I when I said it the first time, and I had to make sure I got it right that time. Um, so as I say, this the the Celtics surging right now. Actually, they did just lose to the Magic, but before that, I went four in a row, five in a row. Um, Pacers completely floundering. Celtics have beaten the doors off of them twice in the last two, not the first time, but they've beaten them handily twice in the last two weeks. Uh, things don't look as good for Indiana in the series, uh, and I think a lot of that has to do with the star power of your Celtics, John. Yeah, I mean, they're, you're going to see in the playoffs here increased minutes for Kyrie Irving, uh, Al Horford. They've got uh, Jason Tatum starting to figure things out, Jalen Brown playing amazing off the bench, and Gordon, Gordon Hayward is playing much closer to his former self and to have those those two guys brown and hayward coming off the bench allowing the celtics to kind of limit the minutes of rosier and marcus morris that's gonna that's gonna be tough for i think any team in the playoffs if they're, if they're playing the right way without the guys that have been causing a lot of the on-court issues the, uh, the Celtics are gonna be very tough yeah, and, uh, you know, the last time they, these two teams played, you know, the Pacers' death's supposed to be their, their big advantage. Gordon Hayward comes in off the bench, goes 9 for 9 with 21 points. I saw, uh, he was the, the most recent Celtic since the 1980s to score over 20 points without missing a shot. Hayward getting back to cl- much closer to Utah Hayward really helps the Celtics bench. He might even end up starting in the series should they want to go that way. Uh, I'll lob that to you if you want to talk about it, but, uh, really hurts the Pacers' depth advantage knowing that the Celtics have him back to that level. Yeah, it's just Brad Stevens. I think he he's taking a lot of heat for how he's used his rotations this this year. Uh, I think he had a plan and he tried desperately to, to have that plan work, and it didn't work. And then by the time 
it was figured out that that wasn't going to work. The top two seeds were pretty much starting to run away with things. And player health and uh, just minutes management was the the priority. And now moving into the playoffs, everything goes out the window. Whoever helps the team win is going to be the, the guy who plays. If it means starting Gordon, Gordon Hayward, sure. If it means bringing him off the bench, whatever. And, and I know Hayward doesn't, doesn't care. Um, and I think for Boston to beat the Pacers, the one advantage that you guys have really had is the offensive rebounding and the 50-50 balls. And if, if Boston still gets lazy and doesn't block out, and if they don't handle their pick-and-roll defense very very well, uh, we're going to see more of the Indiana Bigs keeping these games close. And when they stay close in, in the playoffs, you never know what's going to happen. Hey, you just named every skill DeMontis Sabonis possesses. Uh, he's done Indiana a fantastic game. Yeah. He's been fantastic against the Celtics this year. Um, as, as much as I love Al Horford, his, his struggles are pretty much the things that Sabonis excels at. So there's a bit of yin and yang when they're on the floor at the same time. Sabonis can screen anyone to death. He's one of the best screeners in the NBA. He's a great offensive rebounder. He's incredibly efficient. Uh, all that together makes him literally the perfect backup center. Uh, and the Celtics, they've either had Baines in there playing bigger minutes since they started against the Pacers the last two times they've played, or they don't have a center at all on the court. And either way, uh, Sabonis has no trouble scoring. He's been easily the far and away the most effective pacer against them so far. Uh, he's probably my X factor because... One of the centers is going to have to be so good that the, that the Celtics feel like they can't just go crazy small with Horford and the, and the four smalls because the, the more Baines is out there, I feel like the better chance the Pacers have, and that, that's a that's on Sabonis and Turner there. Yeah, that that's going to be the biggest weakness. Uh, I think it, it's on weirdly the Celtics guards to help in that regard because when. Sabonis is throwing you know, his screens out there, and, and Al Horford has to go and drop and prevent the penetration that that screen sets. The Boston guards, and I'm looking at uh, Kyrie Irving especially, haven't done a great job helping the big and tagging that guy. No one's been tagging that guy rolling down the middle. So what happens is the, the ball handler just draws the defense, drops it off, and the bigs have been getting, and it's not just Indiana that happened against Orlando. Bigs have been getting free runs at the rim, alley oops like crazy. So that's if the Celtics can't handle that, then this is going to be a difficult series. If they can, the Celtics can make this a quick series. Another thing the Celtics can do to make this quick, and something they did the very last time these teams played, is limit Bojan Bogdanovic, who's been. The Pacers' biggest threat as a scorer since Victor Oladipo's injury averaging over 20 points a game. You wouldn't have known it watching them play because, you know, in the first half, I think you only got three shots up, only hitting one. They did a fantastic job not only limiting him making shots, but also him taking shots, which is just as big of a deal to me. He finished one for eight in that game. Uh, because you guys have so many like-sized guys, uh, I think that helps your switching, which for him is a struggle because... He's gotten a much better and more fine off the dribble game this year, but he's he's not quick enough to just blow by anybody. So having uh, a guy equal size on him makes it harder for him to get space to shoot and and get good shots in particular. So uh, I look at that as a big advantage for Boston. Really, the only area I can see the Pacers succeeding really well is the centers that we already talked about because with Kyrie and and all the s- successful and and like sized forwards Boston has, unless Boyan can find a way to get shots, it's it's going to be hard for them to find advantages in that area. Yeah, and that's where losing Oladipo really hurts because he's such a good player. Uh, Bogdanovich is a, such a good player. And when 
then when the Celtics find a way to limit him, there's just no one else that can really take over. A lot of guys can do damage, but no one has that takeover ability. And obviously, if you have Oladipo, who's an all-star, you've got a guy that can handle so much the defensive uh, attention that Bogdanovich can just go off and be a great secondary uh, star. But without Oladipo, if the Celtics just key on him, then who scores? Who who gets yeah. those three, four baskets in a row that really put put teams in a bind? That I think that's really where we're losing Oladipo hurts. Yep, the Pacers have been looking for that guy all year. Tyreek Evans was supposed to be that guy. His season has been uh, terrible, and the last two times these two teams, the last two times these two teams have played, uh, they just ice every Tyreek Evans pick and roll to the extent where Gordon Hayward is basically guarding the sideline on a lot of clips of them defending his pick and rolls to force him to go left. He can't do anything going left. It's it's really easy to defend. The Celtics have done a great job, and uh, if Reek can't put pressure on the rim, then no one's going to be able to, and the Pacers are just gonna have to hope that Sabonis can go like 15 for 15 from the field. So it's gonna be a huge <laughs> uphill battle. It's gonna be a huge uphill battle for them. And I think it's going to be uh, maybe not a sweep, but a shorter series. I, I have to agree. I think the Celtics, if, if they tighten things up, they can get this over with in five. Yeah, I think uh, five or six is the sweet number. I know it's it's hard to pick six uh, because then they have to win in Banker's life. But um, it's always going to be a, a scrap and claw with these two teams. So uh, I think getting to seven will be will be challenging for the Pacers. But we'll have to see because I did not think they'd get to seven last year, and they did it. So. Who knows? With that in the books, let's take a look at the impact of the Marcus Smart injury. John Corrales gives us the local expert breakdown on what the injury to Marcus Smart means to the Celtics. John Corrales here from Locked On Celtics. The Boston Celtics today announced that Marcus Smart has suffered a partial tear of his oblique abdominal muscle, and he's going to be out for four to six weeks, although the Globe's Adam Himmelsbach reports that they are thinking – it's more like a three to five week injury, but at the very least, he is going to miss the series against the Indiana Pacers and at least part, if not all of a second round series, if they do move on and if they do go on to face the Milwaukee Bucks. So a significant injury for Marcus Smart, especially when he was their primary defender against Boyan Bogdanovich when they faced Indiana. He is a key part of the Boston Celtics defense. Obviously, he is an all-defensive team candidate. Many people voting him on the first or second team, so he is a big loss for the Boston Celtics. And also offensively, he is a ball handler, a tremendous passer, and has allowed Kyrie Irving to play off ball. So that's going to change a little bit of what the Celtics do offensively. Who do they start in his place? I don't know. It might be Jalen Brown. It might be Gordon Hayward. It's going to be some interesting decisions for Brad Stevens to make. Uh, again, Marcus Smart suffering a partial tear of his oblique on the left side. It happened in the game against the Orlando Magic. It was an insignificant game, too. It meant nothing to the Boston Celtics, and, and the Celtics still played him, and it, they ended up paying for it. We'll get updates as they come along. We're going to be at practice. We're going to be there when the Celtics give us new information. So stick with us on the Lockdown Celtics podcast for updates as this progresses. That's one side of the bracket. We'll get to the other side of the Raptors and the Magic, the Nets and the 76ers in just one minute. Western Conference breakdown will be coming at Lockdown NBA as well. It's all here on the Lockdown Podcast Network.
Sean Woodley locked on Raptors. Philip Rossman Reich locked on Magic. An interesting series. The Magic have been brilliant recently. Can they pull the upset? Let's hear from the local experts on the biggest stories. Hey, what's up? It's Sean Woodley here from Locked On Raptors, joined by Philip Rossman Reich of Locked On Magic to break down the 2-7 first round matchup between the Toronto Raptors and the Orlando Magic in the Eastern Conference. Philip, what's up, man? Uh, not too much. I- I'm still getting used to this whole playoff thing. It's it's been a while. It's been a little while. Yeah, I, the the Magic. The last time they were in the playoffs was before the Raptors' current six-year playoff streak is, is has been like began, which is crazy because it feels like the Raptors have been in the playoffs every year for like a lifetime. So I feel for Magic fans, and I'm really happy for Magic fans that they get a playoff matchup, even though I guess we'll get into it. I'm not sure it's going to be a close matchup, but uh it's cool nonetheless to be in the playoffs and it's it's much better than being in the position that say the hornets or the heat are in right now what are your first impressions on this matchup between toronto and orlando though yeah i think that this is a this is going to be a much more interesting matchup than i think a lot of people are going to give it credit for um the magic have played some exceptional basketball down the stretch over the last 20 so or so games of the season to get themselves in this playoff position. They were they were 20 and 31 at their lowest point this season. They they finished the year at 42 and 40, which I don't think anyone saw coming. Certainly at that point, certainly at the beginning of the season, um, the Magic have done this by being a really strong defensive team. And as Steve Clifford likes to say, that's the kind of play that travels into the postseason. And in this matchup specifically. The Magic have given Toronto some problems during the regular season. And I say during the regular season because I mean during the regular season. Playoffs are obviously a different animal. But the Magic have done some things that have, that have bothered the Raptors in some way. And so, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull out Orlando resident Lee Corso here and say, closer than the experts think on this one. I, I do think the Magic are going are gonna to test the Raptors a little bit in the series. Yeah, so just a bit of a tale of the tape between the two squads. Uh, actually, they've been pretty similar since the Ulster, since the trade deadline, February 7th, when the Raptors traded for Marcus Gasol. Since February 7th, the Magic are third in net rating in the entire league with a plus 8.2. The Raptors are fourth with a plus 7.4. Their defenses are the second and third best defenses in the league in that time as well. So while it's a 2-7 matchup, at least the efficiency metric suggests that these teams are a lot closer. So I I guess that's sort of the challenge of this series, right? Because, like, they have been really impressive. Their defense is excellent, but over the course of the whole season, they're still just a plus 0.6 net rating, 14th in the league. Their offense is bottom 10 in the league. And so I guess it's a matter of how much you trust the first two-thirds of the season as opposed to the last third of the season. Is there a matchup in particular in this series, player, coach, whatever, that is really interesting to you as you sort of begin breaking it down? I think the kind of the big matchup is going to be the the kind of I guess the marquee matchup of the series. It's Kawhi Leonard versus Aaron Gordon. Mm-hmm. During the regular season, and again I say during the regular season, Aaron Gordon did a really good job on Kawhi Leonard. Um, made Kawhi take difficult shots, held him to a you know not crazy uh, field goal percentage. Um, you know, but but kind of kept him in check. Uh, I think Kawhi Leonard has another gear, and, and I think that's the big concern. And, and Aaron Gordon's obviously never played on this stage before. Uh, so I think that that matchup, if Orlando can find a way to contain Kawhi Leonard, that, that that's what's going to give them a chance in this series. That matchup between Aaron Gordon and Kawhi Leonard, and Jonathan Isaac will probably get his turn on Kawhi Leonard as well, another kind of long, lengthy defender who's a defense-first guy. Um, that, whether they can contain Kawhi Leonard 
is going to be one of the biggest keys to giving the Magic a chance to win this series. There are a bunch of other little matchups that I think are interesting. Uh, Evan Fournier guarding Kyle Lowry, which is probably what the matchup is going to be. Uh, and then what, how the Magic hide DJ Augustin on, on Danny Green um, is also going to be key. But I think it all starts with whether Orlando can kind of cut the head off the snake or at least put a, put, you know, get, a, get a good grasp on it um, with, with the Aaron Gordon-Kawhi Leonard matchup. Yeah, I think that's a good one. For me, there's a couple that I'm really fascinated by. First of all, Jonathan Isaac's done a really good job on Pascal Siakam this season. They, you know, they, they play very similar games. They're both extremely athletic, can kind of defend every position on the floor in a pinch. And Isaac's done a great job defending Siakam this season. I believe, per the matchup data, Pascal Siakam's only shot 21% from the field against Isaac this season. There's some noise in those numbers, obviously, but that is a, a pretty extreme number. And usually the extremes are going to kind of tell you some things. So how the Raptors get around that, how Pascal Siakam uh, approaches that Isaac matchup is going to be interesting to me. But I think the one for me that I'm really fascinated by that I think is going to kind of tell the story of the series is how Marcus Saul matches up with Nick Vucevic. I think if you look at the, you know, the projected starting fives, the only area in which you would give the Magic the clear edge is at starting center. I think the Raptors kind of have the edge everywhere else. And I think Vooch is very clearly the better player between him and Gasol at this point in their careers. But I do wonder how Vooch is going to hold up as, you know, in the playoffs, your weaknesses are going to be targeted. And Vucevic is never going to come off the floor. He's going to be playing a ton. He's not going to get run off the floor because he's the hub of Orlando's offense. But I do wonder if Marcus Gasol is able to stretch him out, if the Raptors are able to target Nick Vucevic in the pick and roll repeatedly and kind of expose him as maybe the subpar rim protector that, you know, maybe his reputation says that he is. If that is an area where the Raptors can find success, I don't think Orlando's going to have the offensive firepower to keep up with the Raptors at the other end. If Nick Vucevic can hold up and be a stout defender and protect the rim, not get too dragged out by Marcus Gasol and sort of maintain the integrity of the defense, then it could be a lot closer than maybe some people are going to you know, give it credit for. I kind of err on the side of, you know, I'm a person who's watched Jonas Valanciunas in the playoffs a lot. I kind of, maybe it's unfair, but I kind of view Vucevic as a similar defender who's going to get picked apart in a playoff setting where your weaknesses are are really going to get, you know, targeted over and over again. And so for me, I think that's going to kind of be where Orlando's hopes in this series fall apart a little bit. Do you have a prediction for the series? You know, we were just recording mere hours after the series was was finalized and we got the matchup, but early impressions, do you have a, a, a preliminary prediction you want to lay down? Yeah, I, I do think this. I do think the series is, is going to be a little closer than people think. And kind of to your point, I do think that that, that pick and roll and how the Magic adjusts to protect Vucevic in pick and rolls is going to be really, really key. Um, you know, Raptors fans probably don't like to hear this. Kyle Lowry has got to step up in this series, I think, if they want to make it as easy as I think as I think some Raptors fans and, and probably some experts think this series is going to be. Um, he's going to be absolutely key, as is getting Danny Green going on, on threes. Um, for the Magic, I think offensively, figuring out how to break Toronto's defense. We focused a lot on the on the Raptors on the offensive side. Um, the Magic figuring out how to break down Toronto's defense is going to be a huge challenge as well. Mm-hmm. I do think Orlando gives Toronto enough trouble um, to, to kind of make them sit and think a little bit, but I do think the Raptors have enough in the end. I, I think it's the Raptors in probably like a soft six, um, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think Orlando is is certainly going to at least get a game, going to make some things interesting, but I do think the Raptors ultimately advance. 
See, the Raptors Raptors fans haven't really had a chance to be arrogant for a very long time because their, <laughs> their, their playoff malfunctions have been very obvious and infamous. I am going to take the opportunity to be arrogant. This Raptors team's incredible. Kawhi Leonard is an amazing player. The step up from DeRozan to Kawhi Leonard, I think, is so... It's really hard to get like a handle on how big a jump that is in terms of just like potency in the playoffs. So... I think that's going to be the difference. I think Kawhi has another gear after spending, you know, as he has said, this entire season for him has been 82 practices. I just think the Kawhi factor is is kind of been slept has been slept on a little bit lately uh, as the series as the season's winded down and he's taken some games off here and there. I mean, he's been off for a lot of games all season long, and I think that's maybe made people sleep on him. So I'm going to go ahead and say Raptors at four. I'm probably going to be wrong because sweeps are hard to come by, but it's not often Raptors fans get a chance to be confident, even arrogant or obnoxious. I'm going to say Raps in four. Uh, I think the talent level here is just kind of through the roof for them, and I think they're really coming together at the right time. Yeah, it's, and I think that's certainly a possibility. Like I said, I do think Kawhi has another level, and, and you know, we, we talked on Locked On Magic and Locked On Raptors uh, a, a, a few weeks ago after the Magic played the Raptors. And I, I think I came on your pod and said said this in, in a game that the Raptors blew out the Magic. Toronto kind of let Orlando know what's up. Mm-hmm. Um, this Raptors team is really, really, really good. Uh, and it wouldn't surprise me if the Raptors are able to sweep. It wouldn't surprise me if it's a gentleman's sweep. Um, but you know, maybe I'm maybe I'm a little too optimistic on, on the Magic. They it's hard to blow them out. They're, they are a Steve Clifford coach team. Steve Clifford coach teams do not beat themselves. You got to go out there and beat them. And Toronto certainly has the horses to do that. Should be a lot of fun. It's a funky, weird matchup. Terrence Ross revenge games loom, uh, and you can catch all of the analysis, all the the reactions to every single game of the series on Locked On Raptors and Locked On Magic. And I'm sure we'll team up for a crossover episode or two as well over the course of the series. Philip, thanks, man. And our final stop on the Eastern Conference preview is the Nets and the 76ers. Let's find out what the guys have to say about the last matchup in our Eastern Conference Locked On Podcast Network preview. Join us to preview the Brooklyn Nets playoff matchup against the Philadelphia 76ers. We have Keith Pompey, host of Locked On Sixers. Hey, Keith. Hey, what's up, fellas? How y'all doing? We're doing well, and uh, definitely it was down to the last uh, wire here getting these playoff series uh, matched up, but I think Marcus and I are pretty happy with how things turned out for the Nets. Uh, definitely have a, an interesting matchup in Philadelphia, but kind of what's the general perception around the Sixers uh, fan base in terms of how they match up with Brooklyn? No, it's, it's weird. It, it's In a way, it's split. I mean, there are certain people, and they remember the last team that they lost to um, in regards to a playoff team was the Orlando Magic. So they're thinking like, Oh, we're happy we have Brooklyn. But then they're waking up this morning and they're saying, wow, now we have Spencer and Dinwiddie, D'Angelo Russell, Karis Levert. You know what I mean? So I think it's starting to hit people now that this is just a bad matchup for the 76ers. Yeah, I yeah. think that uh, the the strength for Philly is definitely uh, their size, like with Embiid, with Simmons being as big as he is for a point guard. And then for Brooklyn, on the other side, it's kind of the exact opposite, where they get most of their offense from their backcourt, from D'Angelo Russell and Dinwiddie, like you mentioned. And so those two things, like, they're kind of the exact opposites, whereas, like, if if uh, Philly was playing Orlando, say, I, I feel like you'd be pretty confident that Embiid could kind of handle Vucevic, but the Nets don't really have that kind of guy. Yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, when when you go up against, like, Orlando, and even Vucevic, you know, he'll, he'll, get, his, he'll get his points, but... 
are they really affecting the outcome of the game? The problem with the Sixers, when we talk about Russell, you know, we talk about Dinwiddie, you know, I'm just going to dissect these two guys. Here are two guys who can create their own shot. And the Sixers are horrible in perimeter defense. So it's kind of like a weakness for them. And when these guys get in a rhythm, I mean, they, they can be hard to stop. You know, there was a game earlier this season where both of them had 30 points against the Sixers. So, you know, it, it's, it, it's one of those things where it's just a bad matchup and, and the Sixers struggle in perimeter D. So, you know, it, it's, it's going to be a little tougher than what people think. Mm. Yeah, and it's funny that you talk about that game where they both scored 30 because that was actually one of the games that the Sixers beat the Nets this year mm-hmm. just because they have such a huge um, uh, talent pool to, to work with. They have Joel Embiid, they have Jimmy Butler, Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris wasn't even on the team at that point. And the Nets did beat the Sixers twice this year, uh, but there was that game where they blew a huge lead where Jimmy Butler had uh, just joined the team a week or two prior, hit that nice buzzer beater. Um, but yeah, the, the Nets have had a, a good deal of success against the Sixers this year, relatively speaking. I think, who do you expect to be the primary matchup on D'Angelo Russell? Will it be Jimmy Butler, who's more accustomed to guarding wings usually as opposed to, to point guards? You know, I, I think we could see that, but I can also see Ben Simmons going up against him as well, trying to use his length, um, trying to use his fam- familiarity with him. You know, they both were high school teammates in, in at Mount Verde Academy, mm. but Jimmy Butler will. Now, here's the problem with, with if I'm the Sixers and I'm worrying about matchups, what do you do if, let's just say I'm going to pit Jimmy Butler on D'Angelo Russell? What if they have him and Spencer Dinwiddie in the game at the same time? You know, because, you know, as as good as Russell is, I think it's one of those things where you have to be careful who who's uh, guarding Spencer. So I would say I want, would love to have um, uh, Ben Simmons on Russell, right, because of their, he knows his game. But Spencer and Dinwiddie, if they're both on the floor at the same time, I have to put Jimmy Butler on him. And I have to try to avoid the switch as much as possible. I, th- I think that's a, a great point because if Dinwiddie and Russell can both get going at the same time, that's huge. But I, mm-hmm. I still I think for Philly, uh, what you said is exactly right. And then for with JJ Redick defensively, I think that the Nets do have places where he can kind of hide. Like if they put him on Rodion's Karuks or on uh, even like Joe Harris. I know it's a lot of running, but Joe isn't mm-hmm. exactly somebody who can kind of like create his own shot. He's more of a a catch-and-shoot guy or a guy who will attack off a closeout. So I think that there's definitely places for a guy like Redick to hide. He doesn't necessarily have to guard Dinwiddie or Russell. And then, like you said, I think uh, Philly has the size. It's just a matter of, like, uh, how many minutes will they play those guys. I know Embiid's health is definitely a question. So uh, can you speak to that at all? Yeah, you know, yesterday it it was one of those things where, you know, Elton Brand was asked – about Embiid and he came out and said, I'm optimistic that he will play in the first game. And he was, the follow-up question was, so is there a possibility that he won't be available to go? And, and um, Elton Brand came back and said, I am optimistic. It's, you know, 14 games since the All-Star break with tendonitis in his left knee. And in one of the games that he played in, he kind of bumped his knee and he was hobbling, you know, since then. So I think that the fact that he's a big guy um, and the fact, you know, big guy already, it takes longer for it to heal. Secondly, 
he, he added 10 to 15 pounds. So that's not going to help the situation. So the Sixers are optimistic that he will play. I think that he will. But, you know, if this was a regular season game where you had three out of four, I mean, three games and four nights, I don't think Embiid will be able to go in all of them. But yeah. he's going to be hobbled. And and I think that, you know, if, if, if I'm Brooklyn, I want to take advantage of that by getting out and go because he has to get back in shape as well. Mm-hmm. The Nets will definitely try to push the ball, but the thing is, I'm just so down on on Jared Allen's performance the last half of the season. And if Embiid is even close to healthy, you know he's just going to eat. I mean, he's destroyed the Nets this year. He's averaging 30 points per game on 60% shooting from the field. It was that game two weeks ago, Keith, where he was just draining threes in the first quarter also. And he's been just so unstoppable. And unfortunately, the Nets don't have that kind of big bruising center that can even match up with him physically. Jarrett Allen and Davis aren't that type. And the Nets would have really benefited uh, from poaching a guy like Boban from the Sixers just because he does have that physicality to match up with Embiid. But uh, if Embiid is is able to play effectively for 25 or 30 minutes, he's just going to score or get fouled pretty much every time uh, in the post if the floor is spaced properly for him. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And and I think, you know, MB will be, you know, like, again, it's a seven-game series. Um, this is a bad matchup for the Sixers. I just don't see Brooklyn winning four games because of the MB factor. Now, again, if this was the regular season and they didn't have, you know, a break in between games, especially from game two to game three, you know, I would say that the Sixers, you know, could be in trouble. But I just think that if they feed him the ball, and other guys could play off of him, and especially if Tobias Harris can get off, I think that the Sixers will be able to get out of this series. But I just don't think that it's going to be such a slam dunk as some of this, you know, overconfident Sixers fans, you know, the ones who were overconfident initially when they found they were playing the Nets, you know, are going to be. Because I just think that is a matchup problem, you know, in the perimeter for the 76ers. But Embiid will be the difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's it's a really kind of uh, interesting dichotomy between the two teams and the way that they've rebuilded. Obviously, Philly broke it all down and, and really did the process over the last few years. But the Nets with Sean Marks and Kenny Atkinson have been more in that subtle rebuild, not trying to tear it down fully, trying to make small improvements around the margins to uh, be a, a playoff team. So uh, interested to see what happens. Keith, what's your prediction for the series? Man, oh, oh, you're gonna put me on the spot. Like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> you know it. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that the Sixers will probably get it in, 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 in six, in six. I think that they'll get it in six. I think that, uh, you know, I think the Sixers could possibly, um, you know, they could win the first one. They maybe lose the second one, and I could see them losing game, uh, in game four. Mm-hmm. Marcus, what do you think? Yeah, I was going to say six also. I think it's a little unusual to like pick the a team to like win on the road, but I do think that that's kind of what's going to happen. I think Brooklyn will win a game or two, probably at home. They might even steal uh, a game early if Embiid is out, but I, I do think Philly's ultimately going to take the series. Yeah, I thought I was going to be unique by saying Sixers and Six, but I think that's the uh, the consensus here. I think that the Nets do have uh, pose enough of a matchup problem to overcome that talent deficit, and especially with the Sixers' weak bench, the Nets do have a lot of depth, and maybe they can uh, run up the score a little bit in those few minutes when both benches are on the court. Uh, I think just ultimately the Sixers' top-tier talent, when you look at uh, across their top four guys, is going to be enough to prevail. 
but I think Sixers and six is uh, a pretty good uh, estimate here, and I think that Philly is going to have no problem winning uh, a closeout game in Brooklyn. Thanks for coming on, Keith. Hey, thanks for having me, fellas, and look forward to seeing you guys in a couple days. Absolutely. Take care. Giving you the local experts on the biggest stories and breaking it all down for you. It's Locked On NBA, available on the Himalaya app, as well as Spotify, Google, Apple Podcasts. Tell your smart device to play Locked On NBA. Western Conference Preview should be up here as well for you on the Locked On NBA feed, plus Ben Golliver. All your local experts covering the NBA playoffs top to bottom. If you're a baseball fan, we now have Locked On MLB in your local channels, and the NFL Draft is around the corner. We're covering it top to bottom as well. It's all on the Locked On Podcast Network.